see. Yeah, so if you guys want, I would say get out your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 22. That's where we'll be this evening. We are continuing in a series on uh, basically the book of 1 Kings. And we're looking at sort of uh, the end of the life of David as he is transitioning and passing the baton off to his son Solomon. Uh, and I just have a slide for us I want to play or I want to show us right off the bat that'll just kind of show us what to look for in this passage and in the coming like message this evening. And I hope that you guys see this um, because it'll hopefully help us see the turn towards how it's going to apply to our personal lives. Uh, and the first is this, is that we're going to see that David is called and known as a man of war or bloodshed. The, thir- the second thing is that God is giving his people rest. Uh, we're going to see that uh, in this passage. God's giving his people rest. And that Solomon, David's son, would succeed him not as a man of war. He would be a very different king, but known as a king of God's peace and his shalom. And we'll get into that in just a second. Uh, so if you guys are there in First chapter, in First Chronicles 22, uh, we'll read it and the words will be on the screen. Although, once again, I'd highly recommend going through it in your Bible with us. It says, then he, speaking about David, called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, my son, I had it in my heart to build a house for the name of the Lord, my God. But this word of the Lord came to me. You have shed much blood and have fought many wars. You are not to build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace and rest. I will give him rest from all his enemies on every side. His name will be Solomon and I will grant Israel peace and quiet during his reign. He is the one who will build a house for my name. He will be my son and I will be his father and I will establish the throne of his kingdom of Israel forever. Um, we also have, I believe, a slide that comes after this that just kind of highlights all those things we just mentioned. This kind of thing of David being a man of war. He fought the Lord's battles. And yet uh, also God, we, we saw last week, if you guys might remember from the book of Numbers, I believe it was chapter 35, that God talks about that bloodshed kind of pollutes the land and that he's really setting up the stage for Solomon to be the king of God's shalom. So if you guys have kind of been with us for a while, you might remember that really since the book of Judges, um, we've kind of seen that the Bible has been looking forward to Solomon's kingdom. I almost wish I had like a graphic now that could show it. Like if you kind of just went from the beginning, uh, not quite the beginning of the Bible, but if you went pretty much from the book, uh, even of like Deuteronomy, there's, there's things that hint at and prophesy about there's going to be a king in the future. And it's kind of all pointing towards Solomon. If you look in the book of Judges, it says that everyone did what was right in their own eyes because there was no king. And they're kind of going, wouldn't it be great if there was a king who followed God and encouraged the people to do that same thing? And people would kind of follow God and and follow in his ways, just like the king does. And then you have David and Solomon's kingdom where David and, well, the king before him, Saul, are brave warriors who fight the Lord's battles and establish Israel as a nation and free them from their oppressors. And so David is, once again, praised as a warrior, or in Hebrew, what is called an ish milhama. Um, And so we actually have a slide for that as well. Uh, I think it's the next one. Uh, Ish milhama means man of warrior, or sometimes it gets translated as warrior. But I don't know why that really stuck out to me. That's literally saying you are a man of war. It was sort of almost like this tagline, this identifier, this patch that you could not get off him. And yet if you look at Solomon in verse 9, it said that he is a man of peace and later wisdom, the word for wisdom being hakam, or he's known as an ish hakam. There is a very big distinction there. Uh, and then we have, of course, the Hebrew word for peace, which is shalom. 
some of you guys who maybe have been around church maybe have heard that word before, but just kind of a recap uh, for those of us who haven't, is the word shalom isn't just peace in the sense of like an absence of war or something like that. It was a wholeness. It was a state of being and prosperity for the people of Israel or for God's people that was sort of like everything is right with the world. Um, There's justice, there's peace, there's goodness all around us. That was the idea of shalom. Um, I want to kind of get deeper into that word and why it's so important for Solomon and that we understand he was this man of peace, man of wisdom. Um, If you look in the Semitic languages, Semitic meaning like not just, uh, and I think it's on the next slide as well. Um, uh, Semitic language meaning like it's from kind of the same mother language of Hebrew. So there's Hebrew and Islam are very similar, or not Islam, Arabic are very similar uh, languages. Emily Kingsley takes Arabic at SEC, so she might know some of this. I have a tutor. You have a tutor? I, they don't offer Arabic at SEC. They're not that cool. They don't. Oh, wow. Did not realize that. But good for you learning Arabic. Uh, so here's the thing. Um, Arabic and, and Hebrew are very tied to sort of consonant roots. Um, so this is very different than English. So the way most words work, like shalom, is the key consonants are S-L-M. So shalom is, well, you know, comes from that SLM. Uh, If you had a city of God's peace or God's shalom, it would be Jerusalem. That's where that sort of comes from. And sort of in the cousin language of Arabic, Islam, and that's why I've kind of highlighted and done all that with the letters, uh, a a religion of God's shalom is Islam, and a person of that religion is a Muslim. Uh, On the next slide, we see uh, that the Hebrew word uh, for Solomon uh, is shlomo, which I think is just so much better than Solomon. Solomon does sound a little too regal, uh, but shlomo or Solomon, I guess both work, have that SLM. He is a man. He is a king of God's shalom. It's literally in the name. If you go back to that passage and look, it says, you will name him Solomon and he will be a man of God's peace, of God's shalom and rest. Solomon's name was originally Jedediah, by the way, which means beloved of the Lord. And it wasn't uncommon for people in those days to have multiple names in the ancient world. So um, I don't know if you guys know this, but Queen Elizabeth's father, I'm actually trying to remember uh, his regal name. I think it was King George. I could be wrong. Um, His original name was Albert. Uh, So his family and friends would call him Bertie, uh, like Bert E. Um, and which is kind of, I don't know if you guys have ever watched the crown. They talk about that and his name gets changed when he becomes King and he takes on what's called a regal name. Elizabeth was one of the first in a long time who just chose to keep her name as, as queen and same with what's his name now? King Charles. I don't know if you guys follow the British monarchy. He is like still Charles in his regal name. But it was not uncommon for a long time for people to sort of take on a regal name. And he's saying, because I am going to be the king of God's shalom that we're now ushering in, coming from David who fought all these battles for the Lord, but he established sort of the nation as a nation. It was kind of like if you think of um, like all those times that, that David is fighting, it's sort of like World War II. And then all of a sudden he's kind of ushering in this era of peace. Uh, Some people kind of revere guys like uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower. He was the president in the 50s um, because there was sort of this long era of peace, more or less, or at least it felt like that to the Americans, uh, to us as Americans. A lot of people revere uh, Ronald Reagan or think his administration was the best. Some people might say that's FDR or, I don't know, George Washington, something like that. Um, Here's what's interesting, though, is that's essentially what the people did. As I mentioned, the Bible pointing uh, forwards towards Solomon and also backwards. Kind of like how people now will kind of point backwards and go, oh, if only we could have it like it was during 
I don't know, uh, Clinton's administration or something like that. Uh, that's kind of what people were, were doing throughout the Bible. And we'll see this in just a minute. They were saying, if only the kingdom, if only we had a king like Solomon. But here's the thing. Uh, whoever we revere and heroify politically is eventually going to let us down. Um, yeah, so uh, I want us to, to look towards 1 Kings chapter 2. Um, first Kings chapter two, uh, that's where we're going to look at, at sort of the charge, uh, or some of the differences that we're going to see, because, uh, as I mentioned, any politician, any, any earthly thing that you put your hope into is, is almost certainly going to let you down. And here's the funny thing. The whole Bible is pointing forward to Solomon. It's pointing backwards to Solomon, but you would think at least during his reign that people would be like, well, this is great. This is as good as it's going to get. Why? Why do you do this to me? Watch. You would think people would say like, this is as good as it's going to get, right? This, this is the peak. This is awesome. And that they would kind of just hold on to that and enjoy it in the moment. But what's kind of interesting is even in the moment, there is this fear of losing it. There is a fear of losing what good they have in the moment. And so this is what we're going to see in the text. It says in 1 Kings 2, when the, tri- when the time drew near, For David to die, he gave a charge to his son Solomon. I am about to go the way of all the earth. We kind of read this similar in the the previous one. He said, so be strong, act like a man, uh, and observe uh, what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. And that's where it comes in. There's other passages that are similar. Um, We don't have a ton of time to go into all of them, but there's a big if there. If you look at a lot of the charges that David gives Solomon or that Solomon gives his son, there's an if. There is God is going to keep the good times rolling, that things are going to keep going well for us if... If you obey what God has called you to do, this is what he's telling the people of Israel. And we'll see this in the coming weeks, but Solomon is far from perfect, but his kingdom and his prosperity are what he is remembered for. Um, here's something I, I didn't notice. Like I've, I've read the Bible, I'd like to think, for a long time. Uh, I never noticed this until I was studying for this series. Uh, but look at what the prophet Micah has to say about the kingdom of God, the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, he's describing um, not just what, This is him after the time of Solomon pointing back to Solomon. And he's also going to point forward now towards the kingdom of heaven, right? So everything's pointing to Solomon, uh, whether it's from the past or from the future. Uh, And then not only that, they're pointing towards the distant future of what the kingdom of God or the future Messiah will be like. And they're saying the future Messiah is going to be like Solomon, that he's he's so central to the biblical narrative that they're going to point back to him. And And we'll see this in the book of Micah. Uh, it says uh, all these things about in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established. And I'm going to kind of skip through a lot of that, but there's a lot of rich uh, kind of just uh, prosperity language of saying things are going to be good when the Messiah comes, just like Solomon. It says he will judge between many peoples. This is God living among the people. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Uh, basically saying your weapons won't have any use. Nation will not take sword up against, uh, will not take sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. There's going to be no violence. There's going to be no invasions, no, no fear of war or getting drafted or something like that. And everyone, and this is the important verse, everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree 
and no one will make them afraid for the Lord Almighty has spoken. Doesn't that sound great? Like if you kind of translate it into our modern world, it's saying our guns and nuclear weapons are going to have no use. Uh, They'll be turned into tools that are useful for cultivating life rather than destroying it. And everyone will sit under their own vine and no one will make them afraid. That phrase back then meant to them like everyone's going to have their own farm um, and they're not going to be slaves. They're not going to be indentured servants like they were in Egypt or like they sometimes were during the book of Judges and stuff like that. So imagine uh, in our day and age, just, just imagine with me, Jesus comes back and he says, everyone's student loans are paid off. And everyone's going to have a great job. And you're only going to have to work four days a week. And you can work from home if you want. And everyone's going to have great health care. And I know this is so abstract for us. But imagine actually owning a home someday uh, and being able to do I know it's like we, we as like millennials and Gen Zers can't even fathom that. And you don't have to worry about school shootings or war or famine. This is the picture that Micah is essentially giving us straight out of Solomon's reign because we see in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 24 and 25, it says that Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms west of the Euphrates River from Tipsa to Gaza and had peace on all sides. During Solomon's lifetime, Judah and Israel from Dan to Beersheba, that's basically like saying from California to the New York Islands, from sea to shining sea, everyone in this nation lived in safety, everyone under their own vine and under their own fig tree, right? This is written long before the time of Micah, and Micah is pointing back to this, saying someday when the Messiah comes, he's pointing to Jesus, he's saying he's going to establish a kingdom that's going to be like this. If you look at the surrounding verses, uh, sometimes you'll see like, you know, in books like Kings and Chronicles or whatever, there's just all kinds of numbers like, oh, there were all these, these horses that people brought in. They're, look at all the livestock that Solomon brought in or all the weird, you know, use the, the weird uh, terminology for like flour or for wheat or whatever it might be that they were producing. Essentially what it's saying is it's just trying to emphasize how rich, how prosperous the kingdom was under Solomon. And what we've just read is largely an echo of God's promise to David when his kingdom was first established. So I know we're going through a lot of scripture tonight. Uh, I will not apologize for it, though. Um, I knew a pastor who used to apologize for reading too much Bible in his messages. And someone was like, don't ever apologize for reading too much scripture. Um, So I will not. Uh, But 2 Samuel chapter 7, it says this. uh, And if you guys were here for our series last year on this, you might remember it. It says, after the king being David, was settled in his palace. So we're now kind of going back in time before Solomon's king. The Lord had given him rest, that's an important word, from his enemies all around him. And then later on, it goes to say that David wants to build a temple for God and God responds with this. He says, uh, he says that, that David will be the one to build a temple, but he not only says that, he says, I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders or judges over my people Israel. And I will give you, important word, rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that he himself will establish a house for you. He's talking to David. And when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you. This is Solomon, who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He will be the one to build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men, right? A lot of what we just read was kind of repeated from earlier, but there's actually a really important line I don't want us to miss. Um, He keeps talking about this theme or we see often when it comes to Solomon, when it comes to not just the good old days, 
but the good days to come, meaning when Jesus comes back, that there will be rest, right? He's saying, I've given you rest on all sides. And chances are for most of us, we're saying, I wish I had rest. I wish I didn't have to work so much. I wish I wasn't as stressed about school. I wish I didn't have all this uh, turmoil or problems in my family or with my friend group or drama or whatever it might be. Um, Chances are most of us long for God's rest or his shalom. Um, Here's one of the most fascinating interpretations I've ever seen. Uh, And I think this is in your notes as well. Um, It should be on the screen. Uh, There's a fascinating interpretation of the practice of Sabbath, of taking one day off of work a week, that it is literally a practice for the coming Sabbath age. It is a foretaste of the Sabbath age, meaning like when Jesus returns a second time um, or comes a second time, Um, and ushers in the kingdom of God, there's a new heaven and new earth, uh, that it's saying, essentially what you're doing is went on for the Jewish people, Friday night to Saturday night, which was their Sabbath, that what you are doing is not just this thing, like this, this restriction from work, it is actually practice, it is a foretaste of what life is going to be like when the Messiah comes. When ultimately we don't have to work necessarily for food and whatnot, but we get to work uh, for the enjoyment of it. It's a reminder that God is going to give us rest from fruitless work, from fear and violence, and all things will be made right. I hope for you guys, as you hopefully, uh, as we practice Sabbath in our own lives, that we're looking forward and saying, God, thank you for this day of rest. Or God, thank you just that I have a moment to enjoy life. And God, I'm so thankful that when Jesus comes again, or that, that you are calling us as a church to be people who are ushering in the Sabbath age, this age of rest, when you will come and make all things right. So Solomon's kingdom is just a small taste of what it will be like when Jesus returns, right? These are the good old days that that we're almost looking forward to as well. Uh, David longed to be the one who would usher in that age. He was the one who wanted to build God a temple, and yet God tells him it'll happen during Solomon's reign. Um, Here's what's really interesting to me. Um, David has to trust God that God is going to do something that David is never going to see. God, or David is having to trust God that he will do something David is never going to get, get to see. Um, I wonder how many of us have something like that, that maybe there is something we are longing for that God is ne- not necessarily going to do in our lifetime or in our lives, but we have to trust that God is going to do it all the same. Uh, Look at what David says. Even when God is saying, you're not going to get to see this, but I'm promising you that I will do it. In verse 28 of, this is the second Samuel uh, chapter seven. He says, sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy and you have promised good things to your servant. This is in your notes that God is trustworthy. If you get anything out of this, of what is this telling us about God? Yes, the Sabbath age, all that is incredibly important. But what this is telling us about God, the reason why this is in our Bibles and these, um, that these, these themes are repeated so much in these various texts is so that we would know that God is trustworthy, that you can trust him even when you're not sure you can see it, even when you're not sure you will ever see it, even when you're not sure that life is always going to go your way, you can trust God with your life. So here's my question for you. What do you need to trust God with? What are you putting your hope in? This is in your notes as well. I believe it'll be on the screen as well. Try answering this question. And this is where it gets personal. We're shifting kind of from like all this Bible, exegesis, hermeneutics, all that. I know a lot of us geek out on that. Um, But here's where for every single one of us, I hope it gets personal. If I only had blank, then I would be happy. 
If I only had this, if I only had uh, better grades, then I'd be happy. If I only went to this school, if I only had this job, I'd be happy. If I had this, this kind of paycheck, if I had a new car, if I had money in my savings account, if I had, what, what is that thing in the blank for you? Then you would be happy. Well, whatever you fill in the blank with is what you put your hope in. And I get it. We're all looking forward to the days when we don't have to worry about school or dating or money or health or uncertainty or whatever is, is fueling our anxiety. But what we saw in the text in 2 Samuel 7 is that Solomon was the hope that a king would get things right. And as we mentioned, Solomon's reign is not the ultimate, but it's pointing uh, it's showing how incomplete putting our hope in worldly things are and is pointing to the ultimate reign of Jesus. So that last verse is especially important. Um, if you guys remember from that we just read uh, from 2 Samuel 7, it says that he will be beaten with the rods of men and with blows, or the Hebrew can be translated, or stripes from the, uh, from the sons of men. Um, this, is, th- this is what's interesting to me. I, I tried researching it. I don't think Solomon was ever like beaten up. Like there's no record, at least in the Bible that I could see of when he did something wrong and that he got like flogged for it, meaning like beat up with like a rod or with like a whip or something like that. As far as I could find, that did not happen. So who is this talking about if not Jesus? If you guys want some extra credit, you can go to the book of Hebrews chapter one. I believe it's verse five. And that's where they actually, uh, the author actually quotes from this. And is saying, I will be uh, like, I will be your father and you will be my son. And it's saying that this is referring, this passage is referring to Jesus. So is your hope in the things of the world, in the Solomons, or is your hope in the things of God, in Jesus? So the next time you're stressed or you're anxious, whether it's about a test or about drama uh, or politics or your family, maybe it's your future, your health, whatever it may be. My encouragement to you is to ask yourself and God, if I only had this, would I really be happy? Here's the good news is that we have Jesus as our hope. And just like in that passage, he has been there all along. uh, And the early church had just recognized it. He is coming back again to make all things right. That is part of the good news of the gospel. Um, And we will sit under our own vine and fig tree in the kingdom of God. And no one will make you afraid. Just like soak in that. Now and then in your prayer time, say, God, I know things are tough now, but I know you will make everything right and I won't be anxious and I won't be afraid. The even better news is that after all David had been through, even getting news that his greatest desire to build a temple for God, that God's not going to answer that prayer. It's not going to be done in his lifetime. He still says, God, you are trustworthy. So there will come temptation this week. This is sort of our practical application. There will come temptation this week in your life and in my life. And in the coming days to say to God, and maybe it's in your prayer life, God, I I really want this, whatever it might be. And if I only had this, or if this wasn't in my life, then I would be happy. If I only had a temple, if we only had a king like Solomon, and have you ever gotten whatever that thing is, right? Maybe you really did want that thing. And maybe God provided, or, you know, maybe, I don't know, it's a Christmas present. Your parents got you, whatever it might be. And it didn't satisfy you as much as you thought it would. Have you ever had that? Or, or maybe it didn't satisfy you for very long. You're, you know, you're really excited about it. But then after a while, you get complacent. You get used to it. Uh, the people past and present, sorry, the people past and future, 
meaning like future from Solomon, were pointing towards him as what they needed to be happy. And yet here is the thing that we saw in there. There was that if. It didn't quite satisfy like they thought it would. They were always worried about losing it. Much of my prayer life, or much of our prayer life sometimes, is likely, God, I just need blank to be happy. And when we get that thing, we need the next thing. Or you worry about losing that thing. The whole time during the reign of Solomon, and we'll see this in the coming weeks, um, was that people were worried that something would go wrong or that it wouldn't last. Sometimes when we get the thing that we are putting our hope in most, if it's not Jesus, is that once we have it, we're so worried about losing it, we can't enjoy it. So imagine how rich and fruitful your constant prayer life would be because that's really what anxiety is. Anxiety is just a constant uh, prayer, but sort of like in the negative sense. Uh, But think how rich and fruitful your constant prayer life would be if every time you were tempted with the thought, uh, with that thought, you said instead, God, I already have everything I need in you. So give me what I need for today. That's essentially what we pray in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Lord's Prayer. We say, God, give me today my daily bread. Give me what I need for today. I choose to put my hope in you. You know I long for blank. Acknowledge it, right? I mean, we're, we're human, we're sinful, we have needs. And so just say, God, yes, I'm being real. I'm being authentic. You know I long for blank and I trust you with it. Or you know how I love blank. I already have blank, but I'm afraid to lose it. Help me trust you with it. And then the next time you face a setback in life, maybe you fail that test. You're worried about losing your job. Maybe you're fighting with your family or I don't know if you guys do this. I know a lot of people like around my age and in my 20s, we would just like doom scroll on like Twitter or Reddit or like sometimes you can have that like on TikTok. Is that a thing? Do people like, is that a word people still use? Doom scroll? Okay. And you're just like, politics are terrible. Climate change is the end of the world. And, you know, dating is terrible, like whatever it might be. Um, Here's the thing. Uh, The next time you face those setbacks in life or whatever, the doom scrolling, You will be stronger and more resilient because you have your hope set in Jesus. And when God does give you that, whatever it is, in your blank, you will have a deep appreciation because you have formed it in your mind. You have been formed. This is a formational exercise, by the way. It is forming you so that when uh, when you have whatever blank is, you've been formed to see it as a gift from God and not as something he owes you. So we're going to break into small groups in a sec. Um, We're going to discuss this. Uh, We'll probably just break into like two or three larger groups. But as we go today, my hope is that we really trust in God over all the things that the world has to offer, all the things that the world is trying to fill that blank with. But I hope that we would say, God, I don't need that. What I need is you. So take the world, but give me Jesus. Will you pray with me as the worship team comes up? God, thank you for this time. God, thank you that you are all we need. And so God, in this moment, I I just recognize I have so much that I'm holding on to. And God, I need to lay it at the foot of the cross. And Lord, if you you take it, then then so be it, because all I need is you. So give me what I need for today. And God, if I do take these things back up that I surrender to you, would I be able to appreciate and use them as a gift from you? I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.